Welcome all Souls family. We have made it to Advent. It's great. It's good to be with you. Of course, we'll be doing this um, in Matt's yard all the way up through Christmas. So come out and join us this week. Of course, we, we're taping it this way. You know, the church historically has looked at Advent and uh, Lent as uh, kinds of mini retreats during the year. And I, I encourage you to think about this as a, uh, as a spiritual retreat. We're going to take a break from Acts. We're going to focus on the hope of Christmas. And, you know, maybe you could even, believe it or not, Advent was a time of fasting in the early church. And maybe you might even fast some of the things that have been distracting you from your relationship with God, you know, whether that's media or, or something like that. Not, not too much, but just to give yourself a little more space to kind of regroup. You know, friends, because uh, we're not going to be out of this for a while. So let's, uh, let's take care of our souls a bit this, uh, this Advent so we're ready for, uh, for next year. I know when I'm taping this, it's before uh, Thanksgiving. And some time ago, I had a conversation with a college student and she'd been thinking a lot about her beliefs and her family's beliefs. And she was kind of anxious about going home and wondered how those conversations were, were gonna go. And, uh, and I said, what do you think your, your parents need from you over break? And she thought for a minute and she said, I think hope. I think that's what we all need. I thought that is uh, that's so wise. But where are you finding hope this Advent? Well, for 2,000 years, Christians have found great hope in our belief that God became man. God became human. And we call that the incarnation and uh, the birth of Christ. We celebrate the birth of Jesus at Christmas. Now, how does the good news that God became human uh, give us hope? That's what we want to meditate on this Advent. Um, and we're going to take four different scriptures to, to do that. Uh, the weather's getting a little bit colder. Uh, we want you to come out, bring your kids if you want to. So these won't be full expositions of a passage as we would do indoors, but more like meditations on, on a text. And tonight's text is Matthew 1.21. Mary is with child by the Holy Spirit. Joseph doesn't believe her. An angel appears to Joseph and uh, explains that what is conceived in Mary is from the Holy Spirit. And then the angel says, She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Now, surprisingly, and, and maybe counterintuitively, Hope for a Christian begins with the doctrine of sin. Now, let me explain that. Uh, scripture describes sin in many different ways. Uh, sin is lawlessness, breaking divine commands. Sin is transgression, crossing over a boundary. Sin is perversion, something bent or twisted. Sin is missing the mark, uh, the failure to uh, hit God's standard. Uh, maybe the best illustration of sin in the Bible is um, Adam and Eve. They decide that uh, they would rather go their way than yield their lives to God. They revolt. Uh, they're separated from relationship with him and, and lead, lead their lives in existential isolation. Now, you know, we could go on. We could offer a number of definitions from sin 
uh, from the dictionaries. But maybe the best understanding of sin is this, and I'm borrowing from a writer that I read a lot. Um, sin means that something is wrong with everything, including me. And the theologian Michael Byrd puts it like this. The gospel assumes that something is horribly wrong in the relationship between God and human beings. Consequently, something has gone horribly wrong in men and women themselves. Now, you might be thinking, well, well that's really hopeful, Doug. Actually, I think it is. Let me, let me kind of explain. Um, I, I think actually this is a great way to begin our search for hope. Here's why uh, kind of starting with sin, uh, and often when we begin Advent, that's where a lot of the texts take us. Um, it gives me hope for two reasons, and, and this may sound kind of funny, but let me work it out with you for a moment. The doctrine of sin gives me hope because it lowers my expectations of what I can expect from life. <laughs> now, let me explain that. I have long struggled with the demanding spirit. I expect life to be a certain way. I expect church to be a certain way. I expect Thanksgiving to be a certain way and swim practices to be a certain way and friendships to be a certain way and political processes to be a certain way. And when they don't, I can become uh, discouraged or even depressed. But the Christian doctrine of sin teaches me that something is wrong with everything, including me. And so that means it's foolish of me to expect that life will go the way I want it to. And so if I really believe that sin has stained everything, it keeps me from demanding from uh, from Sandy, from the kids, from a holiday, from a swim practice, everything that I think it should be. I understand it is never going to deliver. Sin has stained everything. And so uh, I need grace. I need hope. And I'm, I understand more that the world is a combination between glory and ruin. And I don't expect it to meet all my needs. I don't demand that it meets all my needs. The second, the doctrine of sin gives me hope because, frankly, it lowers the expectations of, of, of what I have on myself. Now, again, I'm not trying to give us all a pass here and say that we shouldn't be trying to grow. But I see this in me, and I often see it in you. I don't know why, but it's this battle with perfectionism, this sense that, you know, I can really do everything perfectly. I should be able to do everything perfectly. I should be able to reach all my goals. I should be able to solve all my problems. I should be able to fix all my broken relationships. I should be able to make the world a better place. And inevitably, when we fall beneath that standard, we feel discouraged or ashamed or frustrated or depressed. Well, the doctrine of sin says you're never going to be perfect. You're never going to be able to solve all your problems and, and live flawlessly in every relationship. You are, I am a deeply broken human being in need of grace. And I, I just find that so freeing. Now, you might say, well, Doug, that's terrible for your self-esteem. Well, no, I, I feel so much more freedom. And I think you will, too, if you understand that you need God. You are not built to do all this by yourself. Uh, there's this performance treadmill, uh, one writer calls it, that we get on. And 
And actually, I think it's rooted to a failure to understand sin, to, to, to this kind of hardwired narrative that I can work hard enough, I can perform at a level enough to make my life meaningful, full, and make the world a better place. The doctrine of sin says, no, you can't. No, you can't. Something is wrong with everything, including me. Now, I was talking with a friend uh, a couple days ago, and I've, I've been walking with them for a number of years, and one of the things that I've noticed is their default in almost every conversation is to condemn themselves for not living up to a standard. And I think the doctrine of sin says, yeah, we don't live up to the standard. And God loves us and forgives us. And that's why we can have hope. Now, we don't use the language of sin much anymore um, to name the deadly moral virus that stalks us, but we do see its symptoms. And again, I want to be careful here, but I don't think it is a sin to be anxious or depressed or to feel that your life has no meaning. Not at all. But what I want to suggest is sometimes those feelings are there in relationship to the consequences of sin. Now, it's well known that anxiety and depression have biological or genetic causes. Praise God for medicine that can help us with those things. I, I, I'm so thankful for that. But it, it is interesting, and let's just notice that in the fa last 50 years, there's been explosive growth in, uh, in drugs um, to deal with depression and anxiety. And, and yet the number of people struggling with anxiety and depression only continues to increase. We are less happy today than we were, at least in America, 50 years ago. And, and the same thing that we notice about some therapies, like cognitive behavioral therapy 50 years ago came out, and everybody thought, this is the solution. It's a, it's a great approach to therapy that helps you expose faulty thinking and correct your bad, uh, bad thought habits. Uh, I've been through cognitive therapy. It's wonderful. But what they're finding, actually, in a, a, two scholars in Norway came out with an article last, uh, last winter that as they have, they study the self-reported um, experiences of parent, patients that have gone through CBT, they're finding each year a decline in its efficacy. And there's quite a bit of body of literature that's suggesting that CBT is not uh, providing the long-term uh, results that everybody had hoped for. Now, again, thank God for antidepressants. Thank God for cognitive behavioral therapy. But what's going on here? Well, if you only have a biological model of human nature, if if you think that we can figure out the brain and then give it the right medicines and then every and, and fix our thought processes and, and everything will go well, uh, I think you don't have much source for hope because it's not working. Uh, it's not working. The best therapies and medicines we have are not really touching the ache of the human soul. And the Christmas story offers a reason why. I, I think embedded in it is, is something like this. God is saying, you are more than a machine. Even when you start talking about sin, you open up this, this whole construct of a, of a body and a soul and a God and spirit and flesh and matter and all of it wrapped up together. Uh, Christmas says, no, you, you were made for something more than biological life. You were built to know God, but you have a problem. 
There is malware in your system. Something has gone wrong. The ancient traditions called it sin. Your sin separates you from God. Medicine is good, therapy is good, but it doesn't touch your deepest need, which is fellowship with God. Well, the angel says, you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from his sins. He'll save us from that situation that we have just described. Something is wrong with everything, including me. Well, the name Jesus means God saves. Jesus is God himself who saves us. Now, Matthew, uh, reflecting on the angel's remarks to Joseph, says, All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. Jesus is a first century Jewish man. Jesus is God with us. And so this Jesus, fully God, fully man, Emmanuel, God with us, saves us from our sins. Now, the Greek word for salvation can be translated healing. Uh, in the scriptures, salvation can mean rescue from danger, death, demonic powers, illness, poverty, all the consequences of sin. Jesus rescues us from it. How? by becoming a human being. Only someone who's fully God could bear the full penalty of our sins. Only someone who is fully human could die in our place and pay the penalty due to us. Jesus, the Son of God, becomes man so that he can save us from our sins. And so we have hope. We have hope because we know that something's wrong with everything. We don't expect our marriage, our job, our kids, our dog to give us everything we want and need. We know they never will. No church will, no school will, no president will. This is both a glorious and a ruined world. And we were built for more. And so we look for hope to Jesus, the God who saves. We have hope when we think about the Incarnation because it means we're freed from the exhausting performance treadmill. It, it means I will never be perfect. I will always fail. I know I can never do enough to earn God's love. I am a, save, a sinner and I need a Savior. And I have one. His name is Jesus. The Incarnation gives us hope because it means that we're loved. In the in spite of the darkest parts of myself that I hide, in spite of our greatest failures, in spite of habits that are never broken, we're loved not because somehow we made this perfection, crawled up this ladder. We are loved because God loved us enough to become a man and die for us. And finally, we have hope because we're not alone in the universe. Jesus saves us so that we can know God, love him, and die in him and with him and for him. But that's not all. The angel says that Jesus will save his people from their sins. So he saves us individually, but he also saves us into a people, a community, a family, 
he baptizes us into that community. And so we are not alone either because we are part of a community together. And so we have hope. Let's pray. Father, uh, you know, uh, 2020's been been hard. And so we we come to you weary, we come to you uh, thankful. We come to you not knowing quite what's ahead. And so what a better time to take Advent to reconnect with you, Lord, to pull away from all the social media and all the conversations and all the frustration and anger and hurt and to spend time with you. Lord, may you renew our hope this Advent. And as as we think of this glorious truth that you became a human being, to save us, fill our hearts with hope. In Jesus' name, amen.